0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This is a special episode and one that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. We at So We Speak, our goal is to keep you informed without being conformed to the world. And one of the ways that we like to do that best, and you might be tired of hearing about it by now, is by reading. We are book people, unashamedly readers, and we wanted to do a podcast of best books of 2018. So for the next few minutes... We are going to be talking through our favorite books in various categories, our top five favorites, and what we're going to do is, um, for those of you that want to listen to a specific section or something like that, we're going to put the times in the show notes so you can skip to whatever you want, Uh, but we're going to break it down by category. Before we do that, though, I wanted to ask you a question. What is your reading routine? How do you go about reading, or what was your kind of reading theme for
1: 2018? That's a great question. Uh, You know, I don't know that I had a theme in terms of topics, but my routine is I like to read all of a book, but I've come to realize that you don't have to read all of everything. Every now and then you'll find yourself slogging through something. So I like to say I've read all of most of my books and most of all of my books That's a good, that's a good little phrase. And, uh, but I do stop when I realize I'm, I'm not getting anything out of it. I read two different ways. Pleasure reading. I read slowly. In fact, you can probably see my lips moving when I'm doing pleasure reading. I mean, I I really do read slowly, kind of savor the story. When I'm reading for learning or business or work, I read much more quickly. I'm more focused and I'm trying to glean the information out of the book, uh, Typically, time-wise, I read every night right before I go to bed. I find that you remember what you read right before you go to bed. I remember when you guys were young and studying, uh, and I did this myself. A great study technique is go over your notes that five or ten minutes right before you go to sleep. So I'm careful what I put in my head right before I go to sleep. Usually Mm -hmm. I'm reading the Psalms or something, but sometimes a book. Uh, The rest of the time, I just fit it in. I learned a great technique from Douglas Wilson, and he uses ebooks. And this is one of the reasons I do use ebooks some, is when you've got a spare 10 or 15 minutes, you can read anywhere on your phone or on your iPad, and you can keep books moving that way. And I found that to be very useful. But as far as me, myself, I know you probably read authors and read a string of authors. I've seen you doing that this year. I tend to read around a cluster of interest. I'll get interested in international politics, or I'll get interested in the Apostle Paul, Mm -hmm. or I'll get interested in a certain element of theology, and then I'll read three or four or five books around that topic. So as we go through this, you'll kind of see that in these topical areas, I've read a lot of books around one topic. Yeah, there different people obviously read different ways and just to go back to your slow reading,
0: I remember listening to a podcast with Russell Moore a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about his the way that he reads during the year. And one of the things that he said was, he will pick something to read slowly throughout the entire year. Hmm. And I know several people that do that. I think Ray Ortland did that with Jane Austen this year, where on one track of your reading, you're reading something and you're just savoring every page, every line of it, and mm-hmm. reading slowly. And even if your lips do move, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, An interesting thing, I remember in college studying this, in our kind of great books course that we took, the first recorded time anybody ever read something and they didn't read it aloud is actually in the Confessions by St. Augustine. Hmm. So he comes upon St. Ambrose reading a book to himself quietly. And he thinks that is so strange. He'd never seen anybody do that before. And sure enough, that's the first time... It, it was ever recorded, recorded that somebody uh-huh. wasn't reading out loud. So right. if you move your lips, you are in good company. That's Everybody right. before you know, <laughs> the fourth century uh, it, it was doing that. And as far as you know, reading patterns and things, I mean, reading topics I think is really, really helpful, especially mm-hmm. when you can read multiple points of view on the same issue, right? on the same topic. Kind of reading around an issue I think is really important. I do tend to read authors. I kind of get obsessed with an author, and I uh-huh. want to really get inside their head i want I want to see what they have to say about all kinds of different things. I really want to understand their point of view. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the point where i I feel like I know what that person would say about something, even if I haven't read them about it because I've read them talk about so many other things yeah and I, I think too there's a there's an aspect of reading where you feel like you are getting to know the author. By reading their books. And that's one of the most amazing things about reading is you can get to know people who have been dead for a 1,000 years, right. 2,000 years, just by reading their books. Like mm-hmm. You're encountering their mind through the pages of the book. And I really love that aspect of it. So I tend to get on to something and then... Um. really just dive into that author and read everything I can by them. Listen to all the interviews I can uh-huh. and just get absorbed in that person for a little bit and then move on to somebody else. And I, I did that, I think probably six or seven times this year. Some of them will come up through what we're talking, but the first one I got in on this year was Spurgeon. I got on a huge uh. Spurgeon kick. I read Spurgeon on the Christian life. And then just started reading Spurgeon's sermons, Spurgeon biographies, Spurgeon's notes about prayer meetings. I mean, everything Spurgeon that I could. And that was like January, February, March. And then just as soon as I had started, <laughs> I
1: ended and moved on to somebody else. Were you telling me about a book that uh, of Spurgeon's prayers? Am I remembering this correctly? Yes.
0: So there, there are two books that I know of that are of Spurgeon's prayers. And one of them, I think, is called Spurgeon's Prayers. The other one is called The Pastor in Prayer by Banner of Truth. Hmm. And the forward in that book is written by D.L. Moody. And he says that he went to hear Spurgeon preach. And the most phenomenal part of the service wasn't Spurgeon's preaching, although he is the Prince of Preachers. It was the prayer that he prayed before his sermon. And he would pray for eight minutes, ten minutes wow. before his sermons. And the prayers are recorded in this book. And they are unbelievable. They're as good as some of his sermons. And so if, you, if you're if you looking for something to read in your devotional time, I would really suggest that book. It's just called The Pastor in Prayer. It's put out by Banner of Truth. You can also get it on Kindle by a publishing company. that I can't remember the name of GHL Publishing or something like that. If you search it on Amazon, you can find it. But that's a great, great thing to read during your quiet time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I think a lot of people ask is paper or electronic book reading. So, are you a paper book reader? Are you a
1: Kindle reader? You know, I'm ambivalent. I love Kindle. I love the ebook format for a couple of reasons. One, when you go on a trip, you can take as many books as you want. The second thing I like is the Kindle app lets you highlight passages and then it has a button that will just show you all your highlighted passages. So if you're researching and you're looking for quotes, great thing to do. So I love that. However, I've noticed and this is consistent with national patterns, my retention is not as good with mm-hmm. an ebook. So I love the feel of a, a physical book and I like reading them. So I end up doing some of each. How about you? Do you have any method to your to your madness? Well, and no, I I think that I like lighter books on the Kindle mm-hmm. and reference books in uh, hard copy. And the way I do hard copy, I know that this is going to make some people cringe, but I dog-ear the pages like crazy. Mm-hmm. You can tell how much I got out of a book, but you pick it up and you look at the end of it. If it's dog-eared all the way through, I got a lot out of it. And then I highlight like crazy. I don't write. The only time I ever write in the margin of a book is if it makes me mad. And I have to rebut that point. And yeah. I have two books on my list that I had to write in the margins this this year. But in general, I highlight a lot and I dog ear a lot. Yeah. But reference books that I think I'll go back to, I tend to do in hard copy. How about you?
0: Yeah. it's My rule is not as hard and fast. Mine is mostly, uh, if it's cheap on Kindle, I'll probably buy it on Kindle. Right. Unless it's a unless it's a reference book of some kind but I I prefer paper far and away and I have way more paper books Mm -hmm. but if it's on sale or something on Kindle I'll get it even if I'm not going to read it just that moment it's nice to have later but yeah paper books my memory is better in fact we put uh, we published Weekly Speak a couple weeks ago where we recommended an article it was in the New York Times that talked about there is some scientific data Mm -hmm. that your comprehension is better in a paper book than it is in a Kindle book, and that over time, your speed actually levels out. So people are faster on a Kindle at the beginning, and then the longer you use one, the longer it converges uh, to your paper reading time. So there's really not a major advantage in your... In your absorption to reading right. on a Kindle, but it sure is nice for convenience. It's nice right. for not having to pack books when you're going somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's nice to just uh, whip out the, the Kindle or the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a paper book reader. I'm an underliner, or I'm, I'm a highlighter. I only use one kind of highlighter. I only do one kind of highlighting. I'm very particular. What about. color do you highlight it's in? Yellow. I yellow think everything is the else way. I'm with you. Anything else? I'm sorry. Um, and yeah, I dog ear the tops of the 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 pages I dog ear for important like argument points right. and that kind of thing that I need to come back to, and I dog ear the bottom of the pages if it's just something that I think is fun or I
1: like or something like Ooh, that. So dual indexing here, yeah, and I'll write wow.
0: in them too. I mean, it, the resale value of the books that I read is really really <laughs> low. Although I have to say, one time I gave so in, in seminary we had to read the God Delusion. And the uh-huh. reason why was to figure out how not to argue for things right. and logical fallacies and everything now, like Dawkins that. Dawkins is so noted for that. We read The God Delusion, and I was so frustrated reading that book that I wrote all kinds of stuff in the margins. I mean, there is a ton of stuff. And it's all like snarky comments and <laughs> things like I was having a conversation with Richard Dawkins, which I would love to do, but... Anyway, so I, I, let, I forgot that I'd done that, and I let somebody borrow the God delusion <laughs> that, that wanted to read it. And after they got done, I was like, they're like, do you want your book back? And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're like, I think you're going to want this book back. They're like, I would have paid twice as much for this book just to get the snarky comments in <laughs> the margin. So I, I'm a book writer. It helps you when you come back to it. it I mean, does, Not everybody can, can remember what they read, and I certainly can a lot of the time. There was a book... Yesterday that I was looking up for my dissertation, I was like, "Man, I got to work this in. I got to finish this book." And I got it off my shelf and I opened it. And it turns out I've already read it. Yeah, but I didn't remember reading <laughs> it at all. So obviously my comprehension was not very good on, on that book. But um, I like I like the paper books. It's a
1: flat industry, but uh, the ebook industry is as well. So that's true. You know, one thing for those listening that are couples or just have friends that the bad thing, one of the bad things about an ebook is you can't. Lend it to someone else. Mm-hmm. And one thing I think is great for married couples is one of you read the book, highlight your favorite parts, give it to the other, and let them read it because it's really interesting to see what your spouse or your friend has highlighted. And so you can't do that with an ebook. You can't do that when you're dating, or else it feels like you're subtweeting <laughs> it.
0: Like you, re- you, you read a book, you highlight stuff, it's almost like, hey, you need to pay close attention to this. Yeah. So I want to break these down by categories. Just go through and, and talk about some books that have really impacted us, books that were really good in these various categories. So let's start with just Christian books, mm-hmm. just reading for the Christian life. Best books you've read in the,
1: in the category of Christian books, what would you lead off with? Well, let's see. I, I did a, uh, an author Uh, read this year, and it was for Stanley Hauerwas, the theologian. I read a number of his books, but two that stand out to me is there is a Stanley Hauerwas reader, great way to get into his work, and then I really like uh, The Work of Theology is the name of the book, The Work of Theology by Stanley Hauerwas just really insightful. I found that I resonated with some. Some of it challenged me. There are some of his points of view. He's a pacifist, for example, that uh, I don't agree with, but it was very challenging. Uh, I really liked reading those books. We had Peter Williams at Crossings recently. He just released a book called Can We Trust the Gospels? Excellent uh, data about the trustworthiness of the Gospels. And then Spurgeon. I didn't go on a Spurgeon kick, but I read... Lectures to My Students, which I know you read a long time ago, and I did two in pieces. I didn't read it end to end. And I picked it up this year and went back through it, and it is a gold mine. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be incredible. on one of my top five, Lectures to My Students uh, by Charles Spurgeon. I read Francis Chan's Letters to the Church, and mm-hmm. if you like Francis Chan, you'll like this book. And it's a good book. I, I enjoyed it. But if, you, if you're a Francis Chan fan, I think you'll also like this. I think we may both have read Ross Douthat, the mm-hmm. uh, editorial writer at the New York Times, wrote To Change the Church. He is a Catholic. He's writing about the Catholic Church and particularly Pope Francis and his impact on the Catholic Church. Yeah. I'd have to say that I learned more about Catholicism from reading this book. I mean, I don't know that I needed to know that much, but it was mm-hmm. very fascinating learning that much about Catholic history and Catholicism. Another one I think you've also read, Nancy Piercy wrote a book called Love Thy Body about mm-hmm. sexuality. Yeah. It's going to be on my top five because she her thinking is so crystal clear. It's not polemic. You know, it's not just a screed against transgender or against homosexuality. It's a really well-reasoned, well-written book. And then finally... A perennial favorite, I've read this many times, but I'm going through this book with two different groups this year, Working the Angles by Eugene Peterson. It's Mm -hmm. one of his three pastoral books, and Working the Angles talks about the uh, pastoral calling of prayer, uh, reading the word, exegesis, and basically what he calls spiritual formation, but what he means by that is entering people's lives Mm -hmm. and helping them see what God is doing. That is, I need to read that book every couple of years. It's really refreshing. Yeah, so those are some of the titles that I read in the Christian category this year. Love That Body was definitely one of my favorite books. It, one of the one of the best books I've read
0: when it comes to growing in my own knowledge, but also in the engagement with what's going on in our culture. It's The, the book is interesting because it is a biblical theology of everything that has to do with the body. Mm-hmm. So it covers... Everything you can imagine that has to do with your body. So we typically think sexuality, homosexuality, transgenderism, those things are all in the book. But also things like euthanasia, right. eating disorders, um, the body politic is one of the, mm-hmm. the chapters where how our bodies are used politically and seen in terms of war and peace and capitalism and advertising. It was just a very good book. Her ability, so she's a Francis Schaefer disciple. Mm-hmm. So her ability to see things philosophically is really, really good, but she incorporates so much data into right. her writing right. that you come away feeling like you're an expert on mm-hmm. situations. I would say her book on that and then um, Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, were two of my favorite books on that topic that I read this year. In addition to that, um, probably the best book I read that was just a Christian reading book was God Took Me by the Hand by Jerry Bridges. Hmm. So I had read Pursuit of Holiness, Practice of Godliness, Respectable Sins. And I think this book came out four or five years ago before he died. And I had never even heard of it until this year. And it it was actually... The first book I read in in 2018 was this book, God Took Me By The Hand. And it is a short, probably 150-page book that's an autobiography of Jerry Bridges' life. And talk about a guy who is humble, who spent his whole life serving God in ministry, worked for the Navigators for 50-some-odd years. Um, It was just amazing. It was a really good book, really short. Obviously, I went on my Spurgeon kick from uh, Spurgeon on the Christian Life. The other book I wanted to mention was there's a book called Unbreakable by Andrew Wilson. And it is a tiny book. It's probably 100 pages. You can read it in one sitting if you want to. And it is about what Jesus said about the Bible. So there were a lot of books on the Bible this year. Right. Some of my research is in, is in stuff on the Bible. And so I, I really like this stuff, blog on this stuff a lot. And this was the best short book to give you a sense of what Christians should believe about the Bible. And he's really clever in the way that he orchestrates the book because he starts with what Jesus said about Scripture, what Jesus said about the Bible, and builds off of that. And so right. it diffuses a lot of the conversations that we have about the Bible, where it's like, well, what about the Old Testament saying this? Or what about you know the red Letter saying this or whatever? Right. And he says, no, let's just take what Jesus said about the Bible and begin to build our case. And it turns out you can build a great case for inerrancy, inspiration, high authority of the entire Scripture just based on what Jesus said about the Scriptures for right. inspiration. That rounds out my uh, Christian books. Second category I want to talk about is history and biography. I know this is an area we both really enjoy. Um, What what were the best history books and biographies that you read this year?
1: Well, I read a bunch. I've shortened it down here a little bit. Uh, I got on a kick again. I know I said I read in topics, but I also got on a Paul Johnson kick. I've read a lot of Paul Johnson's books. He's a historian, biographer, I love the way he writes. Uh, He wrote a great book on the history of the Jews, which I would commend to you in terms of just well-written, easy to read, uh, not necessarily a Christian perspective, the way you and I would think of it, but well done. But he wrote several biographies. I would highly recommend his biography on Churchill because it's very short. I mean, all of these books I'm about to tell you, I don't know how many pages, maybe 150, 180 pages. They're all really short books. Uh, Napoleon, Darwin, Socrates. uh, He wrote a book called Brief Lives, and these are short vignettes of people he had actually met. So I read seven or eight biographies. I'll tell you the one I enjoyed the most. I know that we both like Napoleon, but I read his biography of Napoleon and learned a lot of things I didn't know about that period in the 19th century. That was very interesting to me.
0: Yeah. His Napoleon was really good. Um, there's another, Andrew Roberts, who I know we'll talk about here in, in a yeah. little bit, has kind of the big version of Napoleon that was really good. I read that last year. Mm-hmm. Paul Johnson is great. He's, he has mastered the 200-page biography. Exactly. If you want to know about somebody but you don't want to spend a ton of time reading an 800-page biography,
1: He is your guy. See if he's written about whoever it is you want to know. Read him first. He's written a ton of them. Yeah, well done. I read. uh, I know that Rob Chernow wrote uh, the Grant biography, but I read Alexander Hamilton because I had Mm -hmm. not read it, and it was well done. He's going to be the. I found out the other day. He's going to be the speaker at the
0: uh, installation of Congress. Oh, excellent. In January. Excellent. So we, he's
1: a, he'll, he'll a historian like that would be a great choice. Here's a book that you recommended to me that I read. This is a great historical figure. The biography of Bill Belichick by Ian yeah. O'Connor. And you told me that this would go be a book that went down in the ages, and I think you're right.
0: Yeah, it was a good book. <laughs> I to me, be I am a Belichick fan, mm-hmm. and, and if you hit stop on the podcast right now, then, <laughs> then you can do that. But I'm a huge Belichick fan. I think he's the greatest coach of all time. The only thing that frustrated me a little bit about O'Connor's book is that he had from the get-go in his mind that he wanted to prove to you that Belichick is a cheater. And yeah. even from his like school days and his first coaching opportunity, he uh-huh. makes like some comment in like chapter three about Belichick cheating at racquetball or something like that. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, here it comes. And f- sure enough, for the rest sure of enough. the book, every step along the way, he, he'll have like a little editorial comment about. But you know, there were some ways that maybe Bill was pushing the envelope, doing things <laughs> that other coaches weren't. And uh-huh. I didn't appreciate that from you, O'Connor, but overall, it was a really good book. You'll learn a ton about not just Belichick, not just football, but about winning, about right. leading, about fighting through adversity. Exactly, it, it's a great book. You know,
1: I did not realize because I'm not a big fan or you know, I hadn't followed him how much uh, defeat. He had mm-hmm. suffered before he became most people today, you think of Bill Belichick, you think, oh wow, you know, he's that coach that has won so many things. That's not his history, and I think it was very inspiring. He really didn't have to start from the bottom
0: too. I mean, he you know, his first job with the with the uh, Giants, or no, his first job with the Jets, yeah, he's uh-huh. cutting film for free. Yeah. Trying to make ends meet just because he liked it so much. He grew up the son of a football scout, probably the most one of the most famous football scouts in NFL history college football history, and uh, he loves it so much that he will cut film for the team for free, free. Just to be uh, involved in what they're doing. Wow. Y- you have to respect that.
1: Well, historically, uh, and that one more biography, the new Churchill biography, which I'll let you talk about by Andrew Roberts, but I also got in a little cluster of political books. I read uh, the book What Happened by Hillary Clinton trying to come to terms with how in the world she lost this election. I read the book Fear by Bob Woodward. That's his expose of life inside the Trump White House. Uh, I also read a book, I just didn't jot it down here, but Ken Starr wrote a book about the Whitewater investigation. Now that's going back several decades, but basically the whole Clinton's Trump thing, a lot of history, a lot of Uh, stuff there that I thought was insightful. And then one kind of off the wall, Victor Davis Hanson, whom I know that you know, a famous historian, wrote a book called The Second World Wars. Mm -hmm. And he basically talks about World War II, but he talks about it as there are actually several different wars going on. And he's right. And I thought that was a nice treatment of World War II. And the thing about history and biography that's interesting to me is I... I didn't even like to read until
0: I was in college, but I definitely didn't like to read history or biography because I thought it was lame. I thought Mm -hmm. why sit around and memorize facts and dates and that just, there's nothing that interests me in that. Um, And then I realized it was when I was in, I think I was a senior in college. I was in this history class that you had to take. It was a gen ed I had saved till my last class senior (laughs) year. And the history professor there showed us in the class that history is not about dates, it's not about facts, it's not even about what happened. You have to tell what happened so that you can do history, which is why did it happen? How did it happen? What can we learn about it? Who are the people involved? And once I realized that and once I found out that Reading history is about finding people that can tell great stories, Uh people that have insight into what's happened, how we got to where we are. History is unbelievably entertaining to read. But you got to find the right people. And David McCullough is one of those people. He's a master Mm -hmm. at including just the right pieces of information to paint the picture of the story that he's trying to tell. So I read several books of his this year, Um, But my two favorites are actually little collections of his work. The first one is called Brave Companions. Mm. And that book is about a lot of the pioneer westward expansion figures that you probably haven't heard of. There's some famous ones in there like Alexander von Humboldt is in there. Mm -hmm. There's a period from when Teddy Roosevelt (laughs) goes west and becomes a, a rancher for a while. But then there's a lot of people that you haven't heard of in there either, and they're about little 30, 40-page vignettes of their lives. And he is just the best storyteller. And I actually listened to a lot of that book on Audible, and he reads uh-huh. it, which is really good. Then there's another book of his called The American Spirit, and it's a collection of all the graduation uh, commencement addresses that he's been asked to give over the last... Thirty years. So he's given them at colleges all over the place. He gave one at like the the bicentennial of, of several buildings in Philadelphia and Washington. Mm-hmm. He has spoken to Congress. He's spoken to presidents, and these are his best addresses. Mm. And they're all about certain places, certain times. There, it's it's just a really good book. It will give you a lot of pride and a lot of interest in the founding of our country, what this country stands for, who the people were that really shaped it. Uh, But David McCullough was one of my people that I really dove into this year. Mm -hmm. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Other books, Churchill by Andrew Roberts is really good. And Andrew Roberts was just on Al Mohler's podcast two weeks ago called Thinking in Public. And one of the things that Mueller asked him from the beginning that I thought was such a great question is so there are there are over a thousand biographies of Churchill in existence right now. Why write another biography of Churchill? Right. And the thing I really enjoyed about Roberts is he's not a Churchill scholar. He's a professional historian, but he's written on Churchill for 40 years. Articles, he's written a big World War II biography and history. And he felt like that Churchill was one of those people who is so big that it's almost like a a diamond, that there are so many different facets that you can examine in Churchill's life. And even though his book is almost a 1,000 pages long, he took one thread of Churchill's life mm-hmm. and traced it. And that is Churchill's sense of destiny. Right. He thought that he was destined to do something great in the history of the world. And sure enough, he was. And there's this great passage at the beginning of the book where he's at, he's at Harrow or Sandhurst in high school, basically. Uh-huh. And he tells one of his friends... There's gonna be a dark shadow come over Europe and there's gonna be a conqueror and he's like, and I am going to do something that saves Britain from the grips of tyranny. And fifty years later, he did. He really was right. that person. And he had this sense of, of, of destiny. One one person asked him after the Boer War, you know, bullets flying all around him, he gets kidnapped and and somebody asked him, Didn't you did you ever feel afraid or were you ever worried that you were going to die? Mm-hmm. And he said, it, "It doesn't. It didn't occur to me that God created so potent a being to be destroyed in so prosaic a way <laughs> as that." And he just had this sense that he had this destiny, right. and it turns out that he did. And that's the angle that that. Roberts writes from, and it makes for a really good biography. He also just has a great style. He does. It, it's it. Sometimes it's hard in, in biographies that long. You just feel like you're basically reading their diary, right? And you get just day after day after day after day of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and this one really isn't like that. He does avoid that. A smaller book on Churchill, and then I think it, this, I think we're leaving Churchill behind after this, which will be sad, but. <laughs> Uh, there's a short book about a hundred pages long by Martin Gilbert called Winston Churchill's Wartime Leadership. I read that, and it really is phenomenal. Book. It's it's just little tidbits he couldn't quite fit into his biography, uh-huh. but it's little things like how did Churchill organize his schedule? How did he manage other people? What were his techniques of leading the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Mm-hmm. In, in effect. During the war and even down to his box system of, of papers that he would go through and what he would write on them and how he would do it and right. his attitude and sayings that he used. It was it was, it was was a great look at him. The other biography I really wanted to recommend is by Ian Murray. It's Banner of Truth. It's called John MacArthur, Servant of Word and Flock. Hmm. And it's interesting to read a biography of somebody who's still alive. Usually you don't get to do that. Right. But Ian Murray wrote this, I think, close to ten years ago now, about the early career of John MacArthur, how he got to Grace Church, how he grew the church, how his speaking ministry grew, and um, you know, there's mixed mixed opinions on MacArthur, even in, even within the Christian world, right? But this biography gave me a lot of respect for John MacArthur, and the title really is a good description: "The Servant of the Word and the Flock." He sees himself. First and foremost, as a pastor, an expositor of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he has done that for almost 50 years. Yeah. And it, that was a really good biography. Um, I know you've already commented on this a little bit, but politics. So this year we're coming off of two of the best years of, of political books, 2016, right? Anticipating the Election, 2017, Responding to the Election, Two thousand eighteen we got a lot of tell alls is what we right. got. So there's a couple of those there's Hillary Clinton, obviously right. we've got the ones inside the Trump White House, which are so common now I don't think anybody's giving any of them the the right. due attention that they probably deserve. That's
1: true. Um Although I think Woodward's is pretty good. Woodward's is good. I didn't put those in my politics section. I left them in the kind of history biography. But you're right. uh, The political world, everything from the Supreme Court. So, for example, uh, I got interested again. I do this about every two years in the Supreme Court. And I went back and read Antonin Scalia's works. And a couple of his books I would recommend if you are interested in this sort of thing is one was uh, compiled by his son, and it's called Scalia Speaks, and it's a collection of his speeches and on various topics, and then one that he wrote called A Matter of Interpretation, Federal Courts and the Law. And, of course, he's an originalist, a strict uh, constructionist, and it really explains his point of view. Now, I've read many, many other books on the Supreme Court and the justices and different points of view, but if you like Anton and Scalia, those are a couple of really good books. You and I both like Charles Krauthammer, who passed away this year. He published a book called uh, Things That Matter, which are a collection of his columns. It was not published this year. It was published uh, maybe two years ago, and it's quite good. But then after his passing, his son Daniel uh, collected—he had almost ready to publish a second book called The Point of It All. And that came out this year. And I think The Point of It All by Charles Krauthammer is just Excellent commentary on political topics, all kinds of things, from liberty to freedom to immigration. Uh, I think you and I both read Ben Sasse's book, uh, The Vanishing American Adult, and then I think you may be reading his uh, latest book yeah, as well. Yeah, good is a good book. And then I know that we both read, because we read it in a group uh, discussion, Jonah Goldberg's uh, Suicide of the West. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few that I enjoyed in the political realm.
0: Yeah, one of the things I enjoyed about politics this year is since it's not quite things have not quite heated up for the twenty twenty election, right? But it, we're enough past twenty sixteen that people aren't writing about it anymore. I feel like we got a little node, almost like an eye of the storm, where some really good political books could be published that don't that aren't just reactive. And one of those I thought was uh, the Coddling of the American Mind. It, mm-hmm. it may not be totally political but it deals with a lot of the political um, unrest that we have a lot of trends in society. That was a book that I blogged through for six or seven weeks. There was just a yeah, lot Yeah, great there. blog entries. It was it was a really good book. Another one that I really liked was Francis Fukuyama's book Identity. Mhm. And his take on identity and the the fusion of individualism on the one hand and group identity, on the other hand, the uh-huh. way that identity politics actually plays with this detached sense of self right, uh, and the way that we see each other, his book was really, really good. Uh, it's a great read. And it's pretty short, pretty, pretty easy to read. Hmm. Two books that kind of stood in opposition to each other that were interesting were The World As It Is uh, by Ben Rhodes, who was President Obama's speechwriter, uh-huh. former national security advisor, and then... Uh, the briefing, which is by Sean Spicer, right? I read is that too. President yeah. Trump's uh, communication, his director. spokesperson his, for a while. Yeah. So the interesting thing was both of these people started out very low in the organization of a successful presidential campaign. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Ben Rhodes was interesting because his was an apology of the Obama presidency. So he has an ax to grind in that he doesn't think that Obama's been remembered by the American people like he should have been. Mm -hmm. So the book ends up defending the Iran deal. They talk about Obama as a storyteller. And I will say the best thing about the book is you'll go away with a sense of that you know and enjoy President Obama as a person. Which, from what I've heard and from what I can tell, he seems like a good person. He seems like a guy that's really likable. That's why he's been Uh so successful. It's just I don't agree with anything that Ben Ben Rhodes said in the book of substance. And that would be my critique of it is not the politics of it. Of course, you could differ with political points in both of these books. It's that Ben Rhodes didn't have anything to say that was substantial and insightful for a guy that had been the national security advisor
1: for President Obama. It was basically a hagiography. I mean, it was a praise for Obama as opposed to giving any insights into the thinking behind some of the decisions. He'll talk about the decisions and why they're good decisions, but he won't talk about how did you get to this decision, what were the factors that you calculated. I agree. It didn't have much substance to it. It didn't. In, In Spicer's book, I don't even think,
0: I don't think it wanted to have any substance. It's just kind of a tabloidy, behind uh-huh. the scenes. And Sean Spicer, for for all appearances, seems like a pretty lovable guy uh-huh. in the book. He loves our country. He was in the Navy before he got into politics. It seems like a pretty good guy. But you read it because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening in the White House. I mean, that's yes. the appeal it's, of that book.
1: It's a little bit of a... A little bit of a tell-all. The book I'm waiting for is Scaramucci's book on yes. my eight days in the White House. <laughs> yes. It, 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 he has one coming out. So, yeah.
0: that one will be a good one. I would say better than both of those. This isn't a book I read this year, but in comparison is George W. Bush' Decision Points Yes, was what I wanted both of those books to be, and they weren't. That is an excellent decision book. Decision Points is amazing. It starts out in the plane after 9-11 talking about what he knew, how he made his decisions, how he quit smoking. I mean, just the very personal aspects of George W. Bush dealings in the Middle
1: East. That book was really good. Both of these books were pretty mediocre. You know, I'd say out of that administration, Condoleezza Rice's book is... Excellent. And then Decision Points by George W. Bush is excellent because they have substance. They try to get into the thinking behind the decisions, which I find instructive Mm -hmm. for business people. Knowing how those high stakes decisions are being made is very instructive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say both of these books kind of fell short of that. One political book that's not American politics, but you gave me, and I read it when uh, my wife Laura and I went to Paris mm-hmm. this year, and that was a really good book. Uh, biography of Emmanuel Macron. Mm-hmm. Fascinating guy. Yes. Fascinating biography. It was really well done. I, I do not remember the author at the moment, but uh, you loaned it to me. I read it on the plane on the way over. I think the title is The French Exception, yeah. is the name of it, yeah. which is about
0: to be proved true, I think. <laughs> I think so that's too. His career he's, he's having some as trouble. We speak. Yeah. But yeah, that was a really enjoyable book. Okay, I want to I want to take a moment here and nerd out for a second on academic books. Oh yeah, so scholarly academic
1: books that you read this year, what are the best ones? Well, I'll keep this list short because you and I both do a lot of reading in this area. And like you say, it's, it, it's very insular. A lot of our listeners may not care much about it. I'll tell you one that's really good. Is Although if
0: they're listening to this point,
1: then... They're, they're they probably with the us. End. That's right. right. You're probably with us. Instead. I read uh, a book by D.A. Carson, and it's Collected Writings on Scripture. And mm-hmm. it's D.A. Carson's Collected Writings on Scripture throughout his yeah. career. And he's, a, he's an insightful uh, academic, and they're very accessible. But they're really, really well done. I'll tell you a funny thing about that book. So we, early on, I can't
0: remember if we were even doing the podcast at this point. But early on when we started So We Speak, we did a giveaway. Uh Uh-huh. And I had found that book by D.A. Carson for like $3 a pop on Christian Book Distributor. Wow. So I ordered like 15 of them. (laughs) And we decided to give them away. How many do you still have? None, actually. (laughs) That good. we, We decided to give them away and... I come home from work one day and it has been raining all day. And the books are in a box on our like porch. A, oh they no! They are the whole thing is soaked. <laughs> so I'm like freaking out. Go grab them, bring them inside, and literally for three days inside our house on the floor, it was books turned spine upward, pages oh, out. Yeah. With the drying out, on, yeah. just drying these books. And and I think two or three of them we ended up having to throw away because they were just too waterlogged to ever look right. the same again. But we, we hung up all the dust jackets. We fanned through <laughs> all the books and everything. But for those of you that ended up getting a copy, you got, you got more than your money's worth on the books and more than your money's worth in labor to get those books to you. But those are really good books. I think probably one of the best... Scholarly introductions it, to I agree sc- Scripture. His major scholarly scholarly work came out last year. It's called the Enduring Authority of Christian Scripture, which
1: I also read,
0: but yeah. it is much it, it bigger. Is, and I mean, it's it probably is a less block. accessible. Yeah, it's, yeah,
1: and it, it, it's really really good. And there's probably fifty essays. It's in a that collection, book. and he interacts with people. For example, mm-hmm. his interaction with Peter Enns is notable. His comments on N.T. Wright's views of scripture are really well written. I mean, that's an outstanding book. This one was thinner, so I picked this one. Yeah,
0: and the first one is all D.A. Carson. The second one is a compendium of authors, but D.A. Carson's interaction in the intro of that with just
1: the scene of He surveys the scholarly landscape. Yes, well done. Is really really good. Speaking of N.T. Wright, my second one is exile. It's a conversation with N.T. Wright, and what it is is it takes N.T. Wright's basic hermeneutical lens for the New Testament is the idea of exile. Mm -hmm. That's an idea with which I do not agree. But as always, I find that N.T. Wright has powerful, sweeping ideas, and I really enjoy reading him. This book is his interaction with critics and commentators of his idea. Hmm. And so it, it basically is a discussion of his thesis that the New Testament can be understood through the lens of exile. The next one is geeky. I'm a big fan of about three Jewish rabbis, Orthodox rabbis. And one who is still alive is a guy named Aiden, A-D-I-N, Steinsaltz. Aiden Steinsaltz edited the Talmud, which is a prodigious effort. It's like a commentary on the whole Bible, sort of, only maybe a little bigger. But he wrote a humash, C-H-U-M-A-S-H. The humash is basically the first five books of the Bible with commentary, and he published the Steinsaltz Chumash. And I use that to get a Jewish perspective on the Torah. And you'll, you won't get that Orthodox Jewish perspective from any of the Protestant uh, commentaries. And I really like his work. Here's one you may have also read uh, David Bentley Hart translated the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And he also, in the kind of like you're talking about another biography of Churchill, who needs another translation of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. His thesis is that he was un he was dissatisfied with all the translations he'd seen, not because they were necessarily bad, but he felt like they didn't really capture the original. Mm-hmm. And so I found his translation to be interesting. Mm-hmm. For example, I'll just give you one highlight. You know, the Greek phrase Ion or I own, I own us, you know, eternity, what we translate to the age of ages or Mm -hmm. eternity. He translates with a capital A, the age. And Hmm. what he's trying to do, he's not like Rob Bell trying to deny that that phrase means eternity. He's simply trying to introduce the Jewish idea that eternity is the next age to come. So for example, that's an example of some of the different things Mm -hmm. he does. I know he and N.T. Wright went back and forth on that translation.
0: They both have a translation of the New Testament. And uh, N.T. Wright wrote wrote a good response to that one. Seems like a... They, they both have different philosophies of translation. I think there's a place for both. Uh, but it's interesting to watch two scholars go back and forth on something like
1: a translation yes. of the New Testament. You have to be really interested in translation yeah. for that. But it is interesting if you are. Speaking of which, uh, Tyndall House... Cambridge published a Greek New Testament this year, and they took a different approach than most of the Greek New Testaments that we have, and I think it's fresh, and it's very interesting, and I won't talk about it much because I doubt it's of great interest to our listeners, but I know that you and I both have enjoyed that. I was teaching Romans this fall, and just in time for the second half, Tom Schreiner's new commentary on mm-hmm. Romans came out, and so I got to use it, and yeah. Schreiner, just a premier New Testament scholar. Yeah. Yeah, his Romans
0: commentary in the Baker Exegetical series that just came out, the second edition, is amazing. Really, really good. Uh, he he has a 1 Corinthians commentary coming out. It was mm-hmm. supposed to come out before the end of the year, and I think it's backordered now. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed that volume from Shriner. It's technical. I mean, it's a right. big commentary. It's not one I would read probably in my quiet time or something. But if you're doing research or if you're going to teach Romans, it is a, one of the gold standard
1: Romans <laughs> commentaries. Well, my final book on my academic list, this isn't all I've read, but this is one I think everybody might like, is Crossway put out an ESV study Bible, but it's the ESV Spurgeon study Bible. Mm -hmm. And I have really enjoyed using that this year. You get some commentary from Spurgeon, but what I really like is every now and then they'll have a page that is literally a reproduction of his handwriting of a sermon or his commentary. And I don't know, there's something about reading his handwriting on the text that you're reading that just gives you a link to the past. I've really yeah. enjoyed that. Yeah,
0: that
1: that is a really good resource
0: and and one that if you're going to maybe do a Bible reading plan and you're looking for something new to read, that that would be a really good one to mm-hmm. to jump in on. Um, I just finished a, a volume on Sanctification by Michael Allen. He's an he's a RTS professor and it is in this new series on Christian dogmatics and they're scholarly, they're engaging with, with scholarly material, but they're not hard to read. They're pretty short. Like I think this one was less than 300 pages. And if you want an intro into sanctification beyond just a devotional mm-hmm. uh, reading about it, this, this would be a good book to start with. They've done justification, they've done atonement, they've done the Holy Spirit in that series. They're almost all uh, Reformed Theological Seminary guys that are doing this series together, and they're, they're really, really good. Um, you know, most of the academic stuff I read this year, I didn't even enjoy while I was reading it, uh, whether it was dissertation stuff or, or or other things, but I have a couple others I want to recommend. The first one is a book called Where Mortals Dwell by Craig Bartholomew, and it is a theology of place, and hmm. so what he's looking at is the aesthetics, the philosophy, the theology of place, and especially... Human emplacement. So the fact that we are spatially uh, finite beings, uh-huh. that, that we are temporal and we are confined right now to three-dimensional space says something about what God intends for us. And if you read the Bible through that lens, what he does in the first half of the book is he walks through all of the kind of spatial temporal language and structure of the Old Testament. And huh. and when you think about it that way, there's a lot in the Old Testament about emplacement. So you mm-hmm. have a promised land, an mm-hmm. actual geographic bounded land for Israel. You have a tabernacle. You have God right. actually dwelling in a space. You have the garden. You have the complex of the way God designs spaces. So in the garden, you have the garden, which is the the, the smallest area. Then you have Eden, right? Which is a land, and, and sometimes you miss this in the early chapters of Genesis. There's the garden is in Eden. It's, right. the, it's not the garden doesn't encompass Eden. You have the garden, you have Eden, and then you have the world, right. the land. Well, he does that. God does that throughout all of Scripture. You mm-hmm. have the Holy of Holies. You have the tent and the tabernacle, right. and then you have the land of Israel. You have the temple, you have the land of Israel, you have the land of the Gentiles. You right. have Christ's body, you have the church, you have the world. Anyway, when you start to look at it through that lens, there's a lot of really interesting hmm. things that start to come to light. That, that was a really good book. On vacation this year, I read this book on memes. And it is part of a series put out by MIT. There are little handbooks, and I think there's maybe about 200 of them now. Hmm. And I've read the one on post-truth and the one on memes. And this was a professor, I can't remember where the professor teaches, but it's it's a scholarly treatment of why things go viral. Mm-hmm. So why do things on the internet go viral? What are the characteristics? What are the trends in the research? And that was a really fascinating book because it took something that we all know. So, you know, for example, taking memes that you've seen before, that people, right. people sit all over the place all the time and change the words. What is it about those sociologically and technologically that makes one go viral and one not? That was a that was a really interesting read. Uh, the last one I'd I'd want to suggest is Thinking in Tongues by James K. A. Smith. Hmm. This is one of his earlier books, and it is a look at the at at a distinctly Pentecostal theology, which a lot of the time is kind of an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. Pentecostals get kind of a bad rap and charismatics in general get a bad rap for being anti-theological and anti-biblical, which some of them are. Right. But this is is his effort to construct a distinctly Pentecostal prolegomena. So it, it's not uh-huh. a systematic theology. It's a way that you might do systematic theology and biblical theology and philosophical theology from a charismatic Hence the title, Thinking in Tongues. I did not agree with a lot of what's in that book, Mm -hmm. uh, even though I would share some of his charismatic um, positions. I interacted with it in my dissertation. It's a really good book, though, to expand your mind on how we actually do theology, where, where we come from when we do theology and what our commitments are as we do that. Maybe as a subsection of this section... Uh, we've mentioned Shriner so far. What What are the best commentaries
1: that you've read this year? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know about new commentaries this year, but I'll tell you uh, on Romans, and this is one I think you recommended to me because I didn't know he'd written it, but N.T. Wright in the New Interpreter series wrote a commentary on the book of Romans, and that along with Shriner gives you two great perspectives. Of that. I did a study on the parables, and Snodgrass did a book on uh, the parables that is literally the definitive work on parables. It's very scholarly, very well done. That was really excellent. Um, I read some of the two volume uh, Revelation commentary that you had also, I think you've talked about this before, mm-hmm. by uh, Lightheart. Yeah. And it was really different. It's really good. And it was very good. So that was useful. I hate to say it. I didn't read too many that I didn't need to for work. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So I don't know that I appreciated them. I read a lot of commentaries as reference works. I, I don't know that I really enjoyed any of them. Yeah. I mean, I didn't read them for enjoyment or education.
0: The Revelation commentaries to me were really enjoyable. I'll, I'll talk about those at the end. They're my top in my top five. Uh, uh-huh. Um, but the, the two others that I read that were enjoyable this year were uh, Peter Lightheart's Brazos Theological Commentary of 1st and 2nd Kings. Uh-huh. is one of the better books I've ever read just as a book. Now, it's a theological commentary. It's not an exegetical, right. expository commentary. But it, it, it helped me to see 1st and 2nd Kings in a way that I hadn't seen it before. It really mm-hmm. unlocked that part of the Bible for me. And then secondly, I read Derek Kidner's commentary on Proverbs in my quiet times over the course of about a month. And um, so the way he organizes his commentary is he begins with word studies. He has probably a dozen word studies. So human, man and woman, riches, life and death, the Hmm. fool, the wise person. And he does a survey of those things in light of Proverbs. And, And honestly, if you... If you just read that, it would be worth it in that book mm-hmm. to look at how Proverbs displays the different types that it presents. Right. And the, my major takeaway from that book, and, and we've written an article on this on, on So We Speak, is that the book of Proverbs is not a, if you do good things, you'll get good things. If you do bad things, you'll get bad things. It is a look at what does it look like for godliness to put on work clothes and go out and do the work of God in the world. That's Mm -hmm. really what Proverbs is portraying. Um, And sometimes I think we're tempted to read Proverbs like it's an aberration from the gospel of grace. And it's really not. It's kind of a, as a Christian, how do you fulfill the things that God has called you to? Well, do what the Proverbs says. Right. Not to earn God's favor, but to reflect to reflect God's favor and love and grace. Good point. Um, Kidner's Proverbs commentaries in the Tyndall New Testament series. Hmm. Those are the perfect ones to read if you want a little bit more in your quiet time, hmm. uh, more than like a study Bible. That series is, is great. So we have, two, we have one more section and then our top five, and this is the section maybe I've been looking forward to the absolute most out of all of these, and that is, what books did you read this year that were completely, totally overrated? And the reason I wanted to include that is because there are so many books that are overrated. So many books that are overrated. And one of my pet peeves is I've been reading people's lists, end of the year book lists. Uh-huh. And somebody will probably do this to our book list, and that's fine. But sure so many lists. I sit there and I look at their books and I say, Th- these are not the best 5 books that you read. There's right. no way these are <laughs> the best 5 books you read. These are books that you feel like you should recommend for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Either because your friend wrote this book or, you know, the publisher that you're signed with wrote this you know, published this book or you just think people need to think about this topic. Yes, and so you recommended this book, and I can't stand this like that. I want to know what you actually (laughs) enjoy. What you enjoy? What did you enjoy reading? But I feel like there are so many books today that would have been better TED Talks than books. Right. I mean, you've got about a chapter or two of really good, insightful content. Right. Or about twenty minutes of good spoken material. Right. And the rest of the book is just Fluff. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that these aren't good authors. I don't want to give anybody the impression that just because a book is overrated means that the person is overrated. Right. It's just everybody, you know, puts out a book from time to time, even the really good ones that I feel like, man, did that really need to be a book? Right. Like I'll, I'll lead off. One of my favorite authors in the Christian world, Kevin DeYoung. Yeah. Kevin DeYoung is awesome. He's written a lot of good books. But his book on the Ten Commandments that came out this year It was good for the first 30 pages, and Mm -hmm. he really did have some great ideas, probably two or three blog posts worth of ideas, Uh about the role of the Ten Commandments in the Christian life. Uh So responding to a lot of the Old Testament, New Testament, grace and law. that, That was really good. But then what he did was he had maybe a... 10 to 12 page chapter on every one of the Ten Commandments mm. basically telling you what Jesus tells you about the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, It's like, don't murder but also, guys we need to be careful not to be angry at people because that's what Jesus said. I mean, right. ten times. Yeah. You know, nothing really insightful about each of the Ten Commandments. Right. And those are the books where I'm like, I wonder if this was a better idea than it was a book. Right. I know exactly what you mean. Another one I wanted to mention, this is one, there's a book called Paul and His Team. And when I first saw this book, I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. Because it was a leadership book written from the perspective of what can we learn from Paul and his associates in the New Testament. Right. Because one of the things I think people forget is Paul is not a lone ranger. He has a network of almost 100 people in the New Testament that he mentions that he's... Doing work with that he knows. Of course, you've got right. the inner circle like Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and, and yeah. uh, people he all those launches people. out. Uh-huh. So I thought, man, this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't It just work. wasn't. <laughs> it, it, did, it just didn't work. I still want that book to be written because I yes. think that would be a really good book. But uh-huh. this one, this was not it.
1: Wow. Well, I have a couple. First, one I've mentioned is the Hillary Clinton kind of ex. Explanation of what happened. And that book, I think everybody thought, okay, this is going to be some deep, dark secrets of what went on and insider info. And it just wasn't. It was pretty much a rehashing of the basic excuses that you'd already heard. So it was hyped and it didn't live up to the hype. Mm -hmm. Another one uh, that I read, William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, wrote a book called Lies Christians Believe. Now even from the title, you realize that it's one of those books that seeks to deconstruct Orthodox Christianity at some level or another. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go into it thinking that, oh, I'm going to agree with a lot of what this book says. A couple good points in that book, but in general, it, uh, it just didn't live up to it. It was rehashing the same old points that were just emotively expressed. Mm-hmm. And again, whether I agree with it or disagree, and I disagreed with 99% of that book, it wasn't well Richard. And it was hugely hyped. I, I know mean, it was hyped, and, and, and you would hyped. expect it would be. Yeah. And those kinds of books do get hyped. Uh, Jonathan Merritt did one kind of like that this year, where he wants to reimagine the way we speak. I mm-hmm. forgot the name of the book, actually. Yeah, speaking God from scratch. Yeah, so it's you know reimagining the way we talk about God to connect with this generation. Both of those books, you know, are going to get hyped, and mm-hmm. they both did because they're saying the basic thing is okay everything you dislike about Christians and Christianity, it's not you, it's them.
0: Yeah, That's
1: basically what these books are saying. And neither one uh, really fulfills their project. Neither one makes a good yeah. argument. You know, I have two categories of books that I don't like. When I finish a book and I didn't like it, but I thought, well, maybe somebody else will. I'll give right. it away. And these fall in the other category, and that is... I'm not even going to give this away. Yeah, and so they got filed uh, in permanent storage out in the dumpster. Yeah, this is our "Don't waste your time." <laughs> yes, section. exactly. We are doing you a service. Don't even, don't yes. even read these. Books. I, I, I'm not, not even going to pass it on. Okay, now. This may end our relationship on So We Speak, because I know that you like David Foster Wallace. And I am willing to stipulate that David Foster Wallace is a brilliant writer. So I listened to you for years talk about this guy. I picked up the David Foster Wallace Reader. And Boy, that's overrated. Uh, <laughs> I just could not get into Everybody it. Everybody
0: knows that it's cooler to talk about liking David Foster Wallace <laughs> exactly. than to actually read David Foster Wallace. But I tell you what, to me, the the kind of chic David Foster Wallace readers talk about Infinite Jest. And there yes. was a little thing in the New Yorker yeah. about not reading Infinite Jest, but talking about reading Infinite Jest. That's yeah, hilarious. That. I, I don't think I could ever bring myself to read that. What I like about David Foster Wallace is his nonfiction essay writing. Yes. Like, Consider the Lobster is right. really good. A supposedly fun thing I'll never I do again. I did like
1: A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never
0: Do Again. Really good. The, the, I, I could vouch for those... But yes, on the whole, David Foster Wallace is a cooler social phenomenon, I
1: think, than he is an actual author. So when it comes to David Foster Wallace, you can put me into the office episode with Michael Scott when he gets asked, have you read David Foster Wallace? Read him. I own it. But no, I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's where he is with most people. It's I cooler think. to own it than to have it read is, it. That is so, so cool. So sorry. Yes. That one
0: I just couldn't get into. Well, I have one that, that may be the same way for you. I thought Suicide of the West was one of the most overhyped, overrated books of you the thought year. Jonah didn't live now, up to I the I like huh. Jonah Goldberg, and I, I thought he had some very good ideas in that book. Yeah, but that was—I mean, how long was that book? Like 400 pages. Yes, that book could have been 200 pages easily, uh, and it I might would still have that. made my list for most overrated <laughs> book as a 200-page book. There were some really good fundamental ideas in the book about how. The miracle of the West is being undermined by our society, by our trends. That was really good. But there was also just an endless amount of data and. Right. References to different books and hate writing on Jean-Jacques Rousseau that was enjoyable <laughs> but ultimately
1: I'm not better for having read that I agree I enjoyed it too because I don't like Rousseau but you're right I'm it, not better for having and read, read it we read it as a group it was uh-huh. fun because
0: it, it, it there were enough things in there that it made for good conversation but it was like after like week three or four it was like I really want to be done with this book and we discussed it for maybe ten weeks <laughs> yeah.
1: and it, it, it was not a ten weeker Definitely not a tune weaker. You know what's better, by the way? This isn't overrated, but Stephen Pinker, not Christian uh, guy, but he wrote uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature. Yeah. And then the newest one I have, but I have not yet read. Enlightenment Now. Yeah, Enlightenment Now. He doesn't talk about exactly the same things, but his social commentary mm-hmm. from a positive perspective is very interesting. And yeah. frankly, I enjoyed reading him more than I did Jonah. I think of all the books in this category, probably the best one
0: and this is cliche, but just go read 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. It's better than any of the rest of these books. It probably yeah. is number one. Coddling the American Mind is number two. Yeah. 12 Rules for Life is long. Um, I, I've found that people have a better luck listening to the audiobook right. of 12 Rules for Life, which is right. read by Jordan Peterson. Uh-huh. But yeah, in this whole category, there's a lot of overrated books. True. I think that
1: one actually was really good. 12 12 Rules Rules for Life. I did too. Uh, Peterson's an interesting phenomenon. We've talked about him before. He's on my business list, my leadership list. Uh, 12 Rules for Life is one of my top books on that list, which we uh, haven't talked about maybe in another podcast. But I I agree. I think you'd get more out of 12 Rules for Life. Um, Other overrated books. There is a new series out on
0: Jonathan Edwards by Owen Strand. Hmm. It's a multi-volume, and I think I think the ones that are on a specific topic are probably better, but the intro one is supposed to be an, an introduction to Jonathan Edwards' thought and life. Hmm. And it's pretty short. If you don't know anything about Jonathan Edwards, it might be a good introduction to him. If you do know anything about Jonathan Edwards at all, completely, totally overrated. Right. It has kind of devotional things at the end. It's just a very weird mix of things uh-huh. when it comes to Jonathan Edwards. I thought that was pretty overrated. Hmm. Um, this pains me a little bit but uh, because I think this author has written some good books, and he's very controversial, but Mark Driscoll came out with a new book this year called Spirit-Filled Jesus. And say what you will, I've sworn off Driscoll after the Mars Hill thing, but the stuff that he wrote before Mars Hill Collapse was really good. His yeah. early books, Confessions of a Reformation Rev. Oh, that was uh, good. W- was really good. The Resurgence uh, was really good. Um, I can't vouch for his books on marriage or sex or anything like that. Right. Uh, his doctrine book is still really, really good. But he wrote a book called Spirit-Filled Jesus this year that was kind of the the Cliff Notes of his sermon series on Luke from years ago, uh-huh. and it was terrible. Wow, I couldn't even finish it. It just it was saying nothing. Lots right. of stories about kids, a couple of interesting observations. Overall, did not deliver mm. on on what I expected. Last one I would mention is a book I actually read a couple weeks ago called Atomic Habits. Hmm. And it is it is this year's award winner for should have been a TED Talk. Uh-huh. It is about how we construct habits and how we break them. And the guy has a really cool story. I actually saw this recommended on several lists because the idea in and of itself of making things... Uh, really easy to acquire if you want it to be a habit and then putting distance between yourself and the uh, kind of the take up of what creates habits and how he practically flushes that out they're good ideas and if you really are looking to break some bad habits go look up this guy's blog or maybe he has done a TED talk or something but this book is probably 300 pages and unless you are skimming it it is not worth your time Mm. definitely not worth your time well, I feel like we've done a great public service by warning people off some. of <laughs> these. Yeah, I, just stay away from these. Now, okay, so we, we actually do have a surprise last category. Let's get your leadership books, and then I want to see if, we, if either of us have read any fiction this year. Because I know uh, we're going to have some listeners yes. out there being like, where are all the fiction books? Um, and I, my response be, we already mentioned The God Delusion. So that's, <laughs> that was the
1: best fiction this year. But go ahead with your leadership okay, books. Okay, I'm just going to make this one short. Uh, best in that category, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Amazing. Excellent book on focus and uh, paying attention. Here's one that's not nearly as good, but I also read, So Good They Can't Ignore You. Mm-hmm. Deep Work is your pick there. Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. The Way of the Seal, by Mark Devine, hmm. is uh, basically several ideas on taken from SEAL training of how you can be better. This number five on mental toughness is good, I don't know if you want to buy the whole book for that, but that chapter. Mm -hmm. Get somebody to fax you that chapter and you will have read the best of the book. Get somebody to fax it to you. you? Yeah. Find a dinosaur and get them,
0: get them to fax you that child. Okay, look,
1: I, I'm not that antiquated. What I mean is take it to your scanner, yes. scan it in, hit, email this PDF to somebody. Yes, so or, I
0: just call it a fax. Or just fax it over. Just
1: fax it <laughs> On the teletype. Right? Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on, but staying with the seals, Jocko Willink. Uh, wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. The stories of SEAL uh, missions make it interesting, but the idea of total ownership of what you do is a, is a neat idea. So in my leadership, I'd say deep work number one. I'd say have somebody fax you, chapter five of, of Mark Devine's <laughs> book. Jordan Peterson, number two, 12 Rules for Life. And if you like Navy SEALs, check out Jocko Willing. Yeah, that'd be I-L-L-I-N-K. Yeah. How about so, you?
0: A couple weeks ago, um, Ben Sass went on the uh, by the book column of the New York Times and he got roasted because he said he intentionally does not read modern fiction. And that was just the worst thing you could have said apparently right. because Twitter just erupted with he, you know, doesn't read anything that's good and maybe he would be a better person if he would read some modern fiction. I share his aversion to modern fiction. I try to read one modern fiction book a year just to remember what it's like to not like modern fiction, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I do like fiction in general. Mm-hmm. I just don't read a ton of it. But uh, every year I read Lord of the Rings, so I read Lord of the Rings uh-huh. this year, enjoyed it even more this time than I had the previous five or six times I've read it. Um, I went back and read The Magician's Nephew this year hmm. in The Chronicles of Narnia, uh-huh. and that was... I actually read that and uh, The Silver Chair, and and I like The Magician's Nephew a lot. New fiction books this year. I, I scoured my list. I could only come up with two new fish, fiction books that I read this <laughs> really? year. Really? I have several on my Kindle that I really wanted to get to, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Haven't done yet. Um, the first one was really good, and I intend to read some of the rest of this series. It's called The Cold Dish. And it's in the Longmire Chronicles. Oh, uh-huh. And that's yeah. actually been made into a show. I will say the right. show isn't very good. The um, books are better? Yeah, the, the books are better. I really enjoyed. it. It's kind of a Western... I have a hypothesis uh, that I haven't done enough research on to, to really be confident yet. But I have a hypothesis that the creators of Stranger Things, which mm-hmm. is the Duffy Brothers, I think it's the name, or the Duffer Brothers or something... Uh, I'm pretty sure they based the character Hopper on Walt Lang- Longmire from this book. Oh. I mean, they are so similar. He's hmm. a cop in a small town in Wyoming, and he knows everybody. He has a dark mm-hmm. past. He, I mean, just the way he talks, I, I just think, and I've checked out the dates, and it came out long enough before Stranger Things that they, they could have encountered it. Anyway, if you like Hopper from Stranger Things, you will love this because the main character is exactly like him. So I liked that. I think there are fourteen books in the series, and maybe in twenty nineteen I'll read another one or two. And you know, by, <laughs> by uh, twenty thirty I will have finished. The other one is I read the original Peter Pan this year. That is probably it was really good. really good. It was really interesting because you know the only experience I'd had with Peter Pan is the Disney. Right movie and and honestly the Disney movie is fairly faithful to the book as far as the plot goes, but the character development is totally different mm-hmm. in the book. First of all, the writing in Peter Pan is hilarious, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. His uh, his description of the family, especially the dad at the beginning of the book, and the way he. Uh, kind of sees himself. So, for example, you get this a little bit in the movie, but the the author spends a lot of time talking about how unsure of himself the the dad is because they have a dog for a nanny instead yeah. of having a real nanny like all the other families. And then uh-huh. maybe the other families are starting to realize that they only have a dog as a nanny and they don't actually have a nanny. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really funny. But then the other thing I I realized was Peter Pan is a really dark character yeah. in the book and he is miserable in the book and he's this playful and he's kind of come down in pop culture as this playful never grow up never land right but much darker grow up means he never amounts to anything right and he's his shadow in the movie is kind of a funny scene but in the book he is doing battle with himself right. because he is never properly rooted and situated, and his parents didn't love him, and so he's this aimless, wandering lost mm-hmm. boy. In th- I really enjoyed reading that. So that wow. probably is my fiction pick of the year, is wow. uh, Peter Pan. If I can't pick Lord of the
1: Rings, you, I, yeah, I would pick that. Pick that. Did well, you read any fiction? I did, and but for me, fiction comes last, and so I don't read a lot. But last year, for Christmas, you gave me a box set of all of the Sherlock Holmes Works all the stories, novels, and so I have read through that slowly, and I like it because I can read the st- stories. Don't take that long to mm-hmm. read, uh, but unfortunately, I don't like to have more than four books going at a time. That's mm-hmm. just my little brain cannot. Process more than four books at a time for different purposes. And so fiction gets left out. But I worked through all of the Sherlock Holmes. And then when the movie Murder on the Orient Express came out, mm-hmm. I did not see the movie, but I reread the book, mm-hmm. which I had read quite some time before. Yeah. But I reread the book. I read that book before the movie came out and really enjoyed it. Yeah, the book is, is very uh, good. In fact, the latest blog we put out
0: has a section about Agatha Christie. In it and mm-hmm. about what made her such a great
1: author, author, uh, mystery yeah. author. Yeah, but I have to tell you, that's about it. Well, uh, in we terms of fiction books, some angry so.
0: fiction readers. Yes, out there. I'm sorry. And if that's the case, then t- then suggest. A few tell books. us your favorite. Tell us your favorites. Send a, tweet at us or yeah, I, I could use or, some for yeah, 2019. Make, make some suggestions, and maybe I'll double my fiction reading in 2019. There you go. I'll read I'll read four fiction books in 2019. <laughs> so. Let's uh, let's end this way. Give us your top five books of the year. Top five that you read and you enjoyed that you would recommend. That I just really enjoyed. Yeah, yes, of, of 2018.
1: Uh, first one is uh, the work of theology by Stanley Hauerwas. Just I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think you will too. Lectures to my students. By Charles Spurgeon. It's a thick book, but you don't have to read the whole thing. You can read a lecture at, at a time, and I like that. That you know, you feel like you're not a hopeless task. But that's my number two. My number three is Love Thy Body, Nancy Piercy. I mean, it is a little bit more uh, uh, information oriented, but I think you'll find it. Her views on this are just really give you some clarity. Mm-hmm. And then Deep Work by Cal Newport. Talking about how to really focus and get the most out of your time and your brain. And then finally, Paul Johnson, any of his biographies, but I would recommend Napoleon. Mm-hmm. So those are my top five. My top five of the year are um,
0: Peter Lightheart's Revelation Commentaries. Yeah. Amazing commentaries. Read them in my quiet times over the course of maybe six months. Really, really good. Uh, secondly, I got one of the people I kind of went down the rabbit hole. On this year was Nassim Taleb, so I want to do a podcast on him. So we won't we won't talk much about him now, but he he's written six books, five or six books. The most recent one is called Skin in the Game. It's not my favorite of his books. It's not written in the same style as other books. Mm. Um, I would suggest either uh, Anti Fragile or Fooled by Randomness. Now, I know Black Swan is probably his most famous book, but just as far as how good the books are, right. I would say Fooled by Randomness and Antifragile are, are even better. Well, I'll pick those up. Uh, third, Spurgeon on the Christian Life is mm-hmm. just an incredible book about an incredible guy that really will give you a, a, a zeal for the gospel. It's a great book. Number four, Paul and the Faithfulness of God by N.T. Wright. It yeah. really is magisterial in every sense of the word, and and uh, it's the longer version, two volume of what's been condensed in his new Paul biography. Right. And so, uh, if you want something shorter, Paul biography is good. But even for a person, I feel like who's just an interested layperson, you don't have to have any seminary training or anything. Um, Paul and the Faithfulness of God is a little bit dense, but it's really good. N.T. Wright is such a good writer he when is. it comes to academic writing. Lastly, I haven't actually finished this book yet, but Uh I already know it's going to be one of my favorites. I I will have it done by the end of the year. Carson Rock actually turned me on to the book Shoe Dog, and it is the autobiography of Phil Knight, Uh and I'm about maybe a third of the way into it right now, and it is so good. It's one of the better autobiographies I've read in a long time. That'll be my fifth best book of 2018. Wow, our lists don't overlap very much, except for Spurgeon, really. So... Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this list. We're going to post the books in the notes and the time signatures on here. And then we are going to post a blog that has a list of all these books. Hopefully, if you're looking for like a last-minute Christmas read or if you're looking for some gifts, hopefully this was helpful.
1: Um, We will come at you with one more podcast this year next week. And you're going to want to tune in for it. If anybody, uh, by the way, happens to need a copy of David Foster Wallace's (laughs) Reader, I can cook you up with one. Yeah, we should have done a category of books we would like to give away the
0: most uh, to get out of our hands. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.